Let's go to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to, hu to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You know, we can, we can like to not show the full picture sometimes. But like what Katie was talking about just now, we like to hide things in the cupboard and just kind of pretend everything's a bit better than it might have been. For example, I might tell you about our holiday over the summer. We went to the Isle of Arran in Scotland. It was fantastic. And if I was telling you about my, my holiday, uh, I might tell you about the beautiful island, all the incredible views. I could show you photo after photo of magnificent views. I could talk to you about great walks. I could probably talk to you at length about whiskey distilleries. Anna could tell you about a wonderful horse riding trip. Mountains, me and Andrew could tell you about him going up, us going up a mountain and the funny thing about his boot falling apart, that was amazing. You see, uh, we could tell you about great food, we could tell you about all these things. We probably wouldn't bother to mention to you the inconveniences of, little inconveniences like turning up to a cafe, finding it was closed. It wasn't a problem, we just moved on. We wouldn't bother with things like that. And we certainly wouldn't mention the point in one afternoon where we all completely fell out in the car. Someone got cross at some children who were his. We all ended up a bit grumpy. It wasn't the best moment of the holiday by any means. We all ended up having to apologise, well, particularly me. We all ended up having to apologise to one another later. We just leave that bit out. Well, I didn't then, obviously. But only in making this point would I tell you that bit. We'd leave that bit out. We can want to paint a rosy picture. We see that on social media a lot. In fact, I could show you lots of holiday pictures of where we managed to get this selfie of all of us together. You don't know how much effort it took to bring the selfie together. 
And how that came about and the story behind that, you just get the nice picture. We can often just see the best bits, the smiley photo. But what's going on in the background? It was refreshing the other day when we were at an open evening to hear a head teacher saying, we're not perfect as a school. No school is. We'll get things wrong. Wow. But as we come to Acts chapter 5, we can be refreshed in seeing Luke's historical honesty. As we see, Luke doesn't leave this story out. In fact, we're pushed to see the historical reality of the book of Acts. God's revealing to us, this is what really happened. This is what happened here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. In the book of Acts, we're not just given all the good bits, all the amazing highlights. We get some pretty low moments like this one. We could want to paint a rosy picture, but actually Luke goes, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke goes, no, you need to hear this bit too. You see, we've seen the beautiful picture of the church through, well, all the way through uh, these last few chapters, but particularly through the last chapter of Acts. We've got a people together with their eyes fixed on God. They're loving one another. We've seen Peter and John heal a lame man. They've been declaring the gospel. You see, they're pulled up in front of the Sanhedrin because of it. They've been told to stop preaching in this name, but they say, what, what is right? We, for us to listen to God or to you, we're going to keep going. And we see the believers, this growing number, now 5,000 men and, and all women and children, praying, crying out to God, help us to be bold, help us to stand firm, help us to keep going and continue to speak out. We see a people wonderfully on a mission together. We see them one in heart and mind. The apostles continuing to proclaim the truth and seeing the power and grace of God abound. Both in and through that work of the apostles, but also in the fellowship of the church. What does it say in chapter 4? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had needs. As Blassan showed us the other week, as the power of God is at work in and through them, as they fix their eyes on him, they're released from fear and attachment to the things that they have. And they can fix their eyes on the people and God who they serve. And generosity wells up. It's wonderful, a beautiful sight. The church. Not an organisation or some kind of charity, but a family that loves God and loves one another. What a picture. We've just seen this wonderful example of, of Joseph called Barnabas. Barnabas who has done this very thing. He sold some property and he's come and brought the money to the apostles' feet. It's a wonderful picture. It would be so tempting to just go, yeah, there were another couple, but let's forget about them. 
Be so tempting to leave this one out, to paint the pretty picture. It was amazing and Barnabas did this thing and it was great and this is what happened all the time. Move on. And even if Luke hadn't left it out, it would be tempting for us to go, well, just move on. But this is here for purpose. There's purpose for us here today. You see, this story, it starts so well. We've just heard about Barnabas bringing the gift and laying it at the apostles' feet. We hear the same thing now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Brilliant. Another great example coming up. It starts so well. They've decided we've got something we can sell and we can bring for those who are in need. Just like Barnabas so far, it seems. But it doesn't take long for the story to go downhill. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. They kept back some of the money, and we see in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, a promising start transforms drastically and very rapidly into this horrendous situation. A man and a woman, they've sold some property, they've kept back some of it, they bring the rest of the apostles and within a couple of short verses, they're dead and buried. What goes wrong? You see, Ananias must be bringing this money Coming in, laying it at the apostles' feet, expecting a, oh, Ananias, well done, how wonderful, how generous you are, how awesome. Or maybe not even expecting that, just thinking, great. Not even hearing the well done, but knowing everyone's thinking, great, they put some money in there, they've done well. Perhaps expecting the resounding thank you and well done, and instead receives instant judgment. So what is going on? We're told with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back some of the money. And on the surface, we could think, okay, well, he sold this piece of property and he's just chosen what to give. I mean, that makes sense. But then we see what word does Luke use here? This word kept back, well, actually, that word has to sense of stealing something. We can look in Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. If I can get to Titus. There we are. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Where Paul's uh, talking them to teach, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not to talk back to them. But then in verse 10 it says, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they'll make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. It's one of the only other times this word's used in the New Testament, this sense that slaves shouldn't steal from their masters. You get this kind of picture that a slave or a servant working in a household might be given some money to go to the shops or go to the market. We'd go to the supermarket or whatever. 
Go and take, go and buy the thing that the household needs. Well, once they've done that and they get the change, well, whose money is it? Well, it's the master's money. But if the, that slave or employee or servant or whoever decides, well, I've done my job, I should just keep this, they're stealing. It's stealing. That's how that word is used. It's not theirs to keep. It's stealing money. But So why does Luke use that about Ananias and Sapphira? In a sense, Ananias, with the full knowledge of his wife, decided to steal some of the money. They kept back some of the money. But we'd ask the question, wasn't it Ananias and Sapphira's money? Wasn't it theirs? In fact, in verse 4, Peter seems to confirm that. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So what have they done wrong? What have they done wrong? Well, Peter explains that too. They've, they've sold this field or sold this property, sold this piece of property. And somehow or other they've decided we'll keep some of the money and we'll give some of the rest. How does Peter describe it in verse 4? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God's. Do we see what's happened? Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell the field and they receive a sum of money for that. I keep calling it a field. It's called a, pro it's called a piece of property. Barnabas sold a field. Anyway, we'll carry on. Doesn't matter. They decided to sell this piece of property. Then between themselves, they decide we're only going to give some of the money to the apostles. But what's implied? Here's some of the money we got for the field. No. This is the money we got for the piece of property. This is all of it. This is everything. We're doing exactly what Barnabas did. We're doing exactly what Barnabas did before. He sold a field and he brought all the money and put it there. Haven't we done well? Whether they said specifically beforehand, we're going to give you all the money. Or whether they just implied it somehow. Obviously later on, Sapphira confirms it. Yeah, this is the money we got for the piece of property. They decide to deceive everyone. They decide they're not going to be honest about what they're doing. They say one thing, but they do another. Yeah, of course, all the money is yours. Here it is, but we've got some of it behind our back. Ananias and Sapphira, the problem is they're not honest. We're going to try and pretend we're doing something that we're not. It's a lie. And they're therefore wrongly keeping back, or as Luke so clearly puts, stealing some of the money. It's no longer theirs to keep. We've said it's all yours. And yet they keep some of it back. They're deceitful. Wanting to appear more generous than they really are to appear different to what they really are. They're doing one thing and trying to appear like another. This might be far too 
jovial and flippant an example, but who's been watching the Great British Bake Off? That's not many. Okay, this might not go down well. At the beginning of the Great British Bake Off, you get adverts for a popular supermarket, and you have to decide, is this really a beef burger, or is it a cake? Is this really a plate full of lasagna, or is it a cake? Is this a bottle of the particular brand of orange juice, or is it a cake? And it will go through the adverts, and then we'll come back at the end, and then they'll try and cut into it, and we'll see whether it's a cake, or whether it's the thing it's supposed to be. Now, we can have a lot of fun with things pretending to be what they're not to be, whether that's a cake or not. But not here. Not here. Not with this. Ananias, don't try and pretend that you're something that you're not. Ananias, don't try and make us believe... I was going to say it then. Don't try and make us believe you're a cake. Let's not do that. Don't try and make us believe that you're doing something that you're not. Don't try and appear more generous than you're really being. It's okay to make a cake that looks like a bottle of orange juice. It's not okay to pretend before a holy God. We see God intervenes pretty spectacularly. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. God intervenes. No, Ananias. No, we're not having this. We've seen Ananias die, but then later on, it's the same for Zephyrah. Incidentally, we see a huge amount of grace granted to Sapphira. Peter asks her the question, Sapphira, here's the chance to turn back. Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? And Sapphira here, right in this moment, has a, has a beautiful opportunity. Peter already knows they've been pulling the wool out, trying to pull the wool over the rise. Peter already knows that they've tried to pull off this kind of scam. And yet he lays out the opportunity. Sapphira, you can turn back now. You could turn back. Just come clean. Tell us. Unfortunately, she doesn't take it in that moment. But what grace is held out? And yet she carries on in the lie as well, in the deception. Yeah, of course, this is the price we got for the land. And the result is exactly the same. And we see this horrendous moment for the early church. Wow, we've just been going so well, everything's been going so wonderful, and suddenly we've got these two guys, they're dead. They're dead in front of us. You can imagine... Seems like uh, regulations and everything were somewhat more relaxed and easy in those days that just some young men just come in and take them out and bury them. And it's kind of all done. But this is a horrible moment. What's going on? And people can ask the question, well, what happened to them? Did they, what's happened here? God's judged them. What's going on? Have they, have they lost their salvation somehow? Were they ever really saved? What's going on? And the truth is, on the one hand, we can't really know from the passage itself. But actually, what we see is two, seemingly two believers. 
Two members of the church have been struck down and God takes them. Perhaps 1 Corinthians 3 is helpful to us here. One Corinthians three and verse ten. Paul's talking to people there. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. But no one could lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I would suggest Ananias and Sapphira are shown to be not building very well. And yet God says, come home. Come home. Perhaps it's as if they were escaping through the fire, but God says, come home. But what do we see? It's a tough and a sobering story. Two church members suddenly dead. In the midst of all this glorious stuff that's happening. So why is it here? Why does it happen? What are we to learn? The phrase that came to mind to me was, don't pretend with a holy God. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. It's like Katie was saying as she came and shared. We so easily want to just tuck everything away. Tuck away the things we don't want people to see. Tuck it away, put it in a drawer. Give it a quick wipe down. Make sure that they can't see what it's really like. Don't pretend with a holy God. You see, we can quite happily play around and pretend when we're talking about making a cake that looks like a beef burger. You can make that cake look so like the beef burger that everyone's fooled and it's a big joke and it's fun. But don't play it, pretend. Don't play around. Don't mess about. When we stood before a wonderful, yes, glorious, yes, loving and gracious, yes, but holy, mighty God. A perfect, all-knowing, all-seeing God. This is who we're we come before. You see, even including this story, Luke doesn't want to pretend. You see, the church has begun, thousands have been saved, there have been miracles, everything is perfect. No, everything isn't perfect. He's real about it. You see, not only were there problems from outside, we see Peter and John dragged up in front of the Sanhedrin. There's persecution. They're told to stop doing what they're doing. And they're having to stand in the face of this persecution from outside. But actually there's problems within. People get things wrong. People still sin. Hey, isn't that true for us? We're all weak, sinful people. Weak, sinful people saved by the grace of God. People who are utterly dependent on a wonderful, gracious, holy God. 
People, yes, who are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And yet, not yet perfect. Still flawed. I've got a mug at home, which is, it's one of the Mr. Men, and it is Mr. Perfect. What a joke. But to be fair, I'm not even sure that Mr. Perfect and Mr. Man is particularly perfect. He just appears incredibly neat and tight. He's always so wonderfully getting things right. He seems quite proud. Anyway, but what a joke for me to have it. But we're weak, sinful people. You think we can think, no, let's stay there, let's focus on the positives, let's focus on the amazing miracles, the salvation, the, the, the being bold and stepping out. Even let's focus on the persecution, problems from the outside, okay, we've got to stand firm against this. But don't go there, inside. Don't turn the spotlight on me, on us. But this is the reality. We're imperfect people together. In one regard, as we read Acts chapter 5, in one small way, what a stark encouragement. You've got to think about that for a minute. What a stark encouragement. They weren't perfect either. They were just like us. They got it wrong. They messed up. They fell out. They, they did some pretty bad things. And we can read of other situations through the, Old, the New Testament, particularly where Paul uh, perhaps exhorts believers to agree to stop fighting. We read of the story of, we read of his, his encouragement, his exhortation to Euodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4. Help them to agree. Tell them to stop fighting, to stop bickering. But we see a church of real people with real problems and real sin. You see, Luke isn't pretending. So, why, therefore, does it, is it there? I'm going to suggest very quickly three things. We've got to recognise God. God calls us, even through these verses, to recognise him and who he is. He is the king of the universe. He is the creator, the Lord, the sovereign one. The one who is perfect, all-knowing. What do we see? The immediate result here, both when Ananias falls down in front of them and then at the end of the pa passage, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And you see, fear is not always a bad thing. Perfect love rightly casts out fear. We're not fearful. Fear, we don't want to be fear, fearful of man, fear of our circumstances, fear of what's going on around us. We don't want to be afraid. But at the same time, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as it says in Proverbs 9 and elsewhere in Proverbs. It is so right to fear, to awe, to honour and to respect our God's. You see, God calls his people to truly recognise him, to truly know him, to truly worship him, the holy God. As we were reminded even through our worship, this is who he is. This is who he is. 
to remember, to realize. I think it was Dan prayed out earlier. So, uh, apologies to someone else. How amazing it is that we can come into his presence. I got some sense of this from someone praying out anyway. How amazing that we can come, a holy God. Yet he has embraced us. This holy God who Isaiah, as he came face to face in, that, in the throne, he was like, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the king. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's awesome. Recognize him. Recognize it's his church. We're not just a group of people, not just... My church, or Dan and Chris and my church, we're the leaders, so it's our church. No, not even our church, but his. You see, as we look at this story, Ananias and Sapphira have lost sight of this. You see, as they do this, they sell, sell the property and they bring some of the money. Well, we can pull the wall over Peter's eyes. We can pull the wall over everyone's eyes. No one else can see. No one else will know. No one knows what money we got for the field, so we can just bring some of it. We've kind of forgotten God's there. God's there. God's there. God sees. God knows. They've taken God out of the equation. God sees all. God knows all. Perhaps... Uh, some reality TV shows over the last 20 years, maybe a bit longer, starting with things like Big Brother, could perhaps give us the wrong sense of, oh, it's just, God's just that kind of weird person in the sky who's always watching. Everyone's seeing everything you're doing. That's what is going on. The novel 1984 pointed towards this in a somewhat more sinister way. That kind of sense that there's always someone who can somehow see everything and is suddenly going to pounce just like that. Well, in one sense, it's true. God sees everything. God knows everything. But God knows every hair on your heads. God knows everything you've ever done or will ever do. Yet he loved you enough to send his son. That whosoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. We, we sing that song sometimes. You see the depths of my heart, yet you love me the same. God does see all. God does know all. He draws us to him. Recognize who he is. See, Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, how will anyone ever find out? It's just the apostles, the other believers. They forgot it's God. It's his church. That's what Peter reminds him. Ananias, you've not just lied to us human beings, but you've lied to God. So recognize him. We're living for him and it's his church. And so what does God call us to do? Get real with him. Get real with God. Be real. Don't pretend. You see, we need to recognize what Ananias and Sapphira's sin was and remember it. You see, let me state it plainly. It was not that they didn't give enough. You see, we could get caught in this. God wanted more money and they didn't give it to him. Maybe God's coffers were getting a bit low and he wanted all the money. You see, Barnabas gave all the money. They only gave some of the money and so he wiped them out. 
We must do more. We must do more. We must give more. We must do something else. There must be something else that we need to do. As a church, as individuals, we can get stuck into this mindset. We must do more. We must do more. We must give more. We must... You see the need, so we need to do more there and more there and more over there and more over there. Don't you see Ananias and Safari? They kept some back. We need to do more. We can get trapped into that way of thinking. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Must do more, must do more. Let me say it again. It was not that they didn't give enough. Peter reminds them, you were free to do with the money as you saw fit. I've said that like a quote. That was my paraphrase. You're free to do it. It was yours. It was yours before you sold it. It was yours after you sold it. What does Paul tell us? Paul tells us the Corinthians that in another way in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. They were free to decide. They sold a field. They could have brought none of it, I suppose. They could have brought 2% of it, half of it, all of it. It was not that they didn't give enough. It was their hearts. They were deceitful. They lied. They tried to give the appearance of being more generous than they actually were. They wanted to look good before everyone. Which effectively led to them effectively stealing some of what was before their own money back. It's their hearts. God wants our hearts. God wants faithful, committed hearts of love and integrity. Ananias and Sapphira's hearts weren't right. They were, they were pretending. You see, it's so tempting in so many ways to pretend. To pretend we're okay, to put on an outward show of, I'm doing all right, thank you very much. To do or say what we think people want to hear. To pretend that relationships with others are okay, or just avoid it. Rather than revealing there's a problem. Pretend that our relationship with God is better than it is. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Pretend we agree. Maybe pretend you agree on everything that I'm saying this morning and then go away and stew on it. Rather than asking the question. It's so easy to pretend. We can so easily fall into the trap of doing it. So easy to get caught comparing ourselves with others and thinking, I need to somehow match up to what they're doing. Or feel puffed up that I'm doing better than they are. You see, on the surface it appears Ananias and Sapphira just want to appear to be like Barnabas. He did a great job. We're going to do it too, but we don't really want to do it. But we'll do something that looks a bit like it. And we'll make it look the same. And so easily our thoughts can be, perhaps we barely even realise it, they'll never know. How will they ever find out? People will just see what I show them. They think I'm doing fine. And we can be trapped. 
We're trapped in this way of thinking. As long as they see that I look like I'm doing okay, or that I'm doing the right thing, then it will be okay. I've got to keep up the appearance. We need to try and look good to others somehow. But again, as Katie shared with us before, real hope is found in coming honestly to God. Letting him in. Letting him deal with the stuff that we're not so proud of. Or completely ashamed of. We can feel so under pressure. We can feel so struggling. Feeling like if, if only they knew the real me, then it'd all be over. They dropped me like a stone. My encouragement is don't pretend with God. Come to the Father who knows every hair on your head, every thought, every deed before you even think or do it, and yet he sent his son to die for you. Come and submit to him. Come and repent and find true hope. So I believe God would call us to get real. He doesn't want something that looks okay on the surface. He wants hearts that truly love him. And one last thing, very quickly. We need to recognise God. We need to get real with him. Why? Because we're on a journey. We're on a mission. We're to get ready to go. See, I just about got G, G's and R's in all the points there. Probably doesn't really help. It's a key time. It's a key time for us as a church. Obviously, we were talking last week about looking to expand the eldership team that we've been meeting with, with three different guys, with Ben, with Blessan, and with Grant. Looking to, looking to see God do a, a multiplication within us. Looking to see new sites birthed in different places, to see our hubs that we've currently got meeting, or some of them at least, meeting in different places, to see more people saved and added, to see communities reached and changed. It's a key time, looking to reset some things, to, to get hold of who we are as a people, to step out in courage and boldness and see the kingdom of God advance. Well, I think, therefore, this story is so important. We see the church in Acts is just getting going. They're on the move. They're advancing. And we see this, God intervening to deal swiftly with an issue that doesn't want to spread and grow. We could turn back and look in the book of Joshua at a similar situation as the people were moving into the promised land. They'd taken Jericho. Jericho's been flattened and the people have moved in and God says, destroy everything. And it looks like they have, but Achan's decided, well, that looks nice. I'll keep it. And things very quickly go wrong. They look to take AI and it's a disaster. And God deals with sin amongst them and says, focus your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Be real with me. Be honest. Be open. Be... Trust me and do it my way. And then they move on. And then they move on in power. We see that in the book of Acts. Great fear sees the white whole church and all who spurt heard about these events and spoiler alert the mission goes on the mission goes on the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people all the believers met together 
It says that no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. But nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. God intervenes and deals with an issue so that they can go on, so that the kingdom can advance, so that the gospel can spread. So let's come before him. Let's be real with him. Let's open the drawers where there's things hidden and get them dealt with. Let's not try and just sweep things under the rug. Let's not pretend. But let's be real with him and let him work in us and through us as we move forwards. You see, in stories of revival, this is what we see. The church is woken up. The church, pretty much exclusively in times of revival, the church ends up absolutely on its knees because they've seen truly who God is and recognize, oh man, you're so much bigger than I even thought. You're so much more holy than I even thought. And man, how is it that you could ever love me? And yet you do. Let's get right with him. Let's be ready to get right with him, to repent that the word of God might bear much fruit amongst us at this time. Let's be a people truly on fire for him, getting real with him, dealing with sin, coming in humility, not pretending or trying to look better than we are. He's a holy God who loves us. So let's come to him.